Put paste in Delay creates Imagine you want to bake the world's best cake. Base training is like making the sponge cake possible. Speed work is the icing on the cake. And too much icing will spoil it. Not enough, and it's not so tasty. But in the right balance, you have a perfect and delicious cake. In this podcast, we'll tell you everything you need to know about base training and why it's so important to making you an endurance monster. To find out, keep listening on to this episode of Trees and D-Lake. Don't master a lot, don't master a little, just stay in the middle. Don't master all, don't master none, just be a master of some. What is up? Welcome to Trees and D-Lake, a podcast series by Mike Trees and yours truly, Darren D-Lake Creates. In this series, our goal is to educate and entertain smart and committed runners. A bit more on that from Mike Trees. And the aim of this podcast is to give, in a lighthearted, amusing and entertaining way, hints and tips to help you all run better and enjoy your sporting life more. So let's see how we can go with that. Mike's being pretty modest. He has over 50 years of running and doing triathlons under his belt. And if you're wondering about me, I've been in the endurance sport game for about 25 years now, done a sub three hour marathon and completed an Ironman triathlon in 10 hours. We appreciate all the help and support that we can get. So if you can, please share out this episode to someone that you know that would like this. Oh, quick language warning. In some rare instances, we might use some bad words. So apologies in advance for that. Base training might sound boring, but it's so far from that. This is the literal foundation for everything from 400-meter sprinting to crazy endurance events like ultramarathons and Ironman triathlons. Without a base, you literally can't do anything. What you'll learn in this episode, what base training exactly is, how to build volume properly, why does base training actually help you, what being aerobic is versus anaerobic, when to use base training, what pace is the right pace, when you're doing base training, and so much more. So here's what to expect in this episode. We'll start off with a quick warm-up to see where we're at in our current training. Then we'll get into the main set of the episode, which is everything you need to know about base training. And we'll end it all with our episode question. In a race, which would you rather, pace or perceived exertion? Enough from me. Let's get into the conversation with Mike. All right, all right. We're going to start this episode off a bit different. We always usually talk about what we're doing training-wise, but let's go back a bit to August. Let's be optimistic. Let's start off on a good note. What was your favorite training session of August? Well, August uh, in Japan is super hot. Uh, You wake up in the morning, it's 30 degrees, uh, and the temperature just goes up from there. So uh, my my best sessions are getting up at 4 a.m., out the door and starting training by 5 a.m. before it gets hot. There's no one around. It could be a run. It could be a bike ride. I can't swim that early because I've got to get to the ocean. But uh, it's nice just getting out when the whole world is is dead, watching the birds waking up. Uh, Still super hot. But any kind of movement that time of day is great. The only downside is, yep, I've got to go to bed at 8 o'clock at night to get the sleep in. So, uh, my, I, I jokingly say uh, on an evening, my daughter reads to me, then 
my young daughter, she reads to me, then she tucks me in and I go to bed, <laughs> not the other way around. So people are waiting for me to say, she reads to me, then I tuck her in and she goes to bed. But uh, yeah, no, she reads to me, then she tucks me and I go to bed and she goes and watches telly with mummy. <laughs> but uh, again, again, getting up early, any, any early training session. I love training early mornings in August before the world wakes up. What about you? Love it, love it. Me, August here in Sydney, Australia is the coldest month of the of the year. Uh, lots of seven degree, six degree Celsius mornings, um, which is what about forty degrees Fahrenheit for you Americans. Got to keep keep converting because I obviously I'm American and uh, I know we've got some American listeners. But uh, yeah, it, it's a great time to be running. It's a great temperature to be running and um, bit dark and and humid. The humid cold is is a bit. It's, it's a bit cold for me and, and uncomfortable, but I did a 30K run and that was an amazing, amazing run. Uh, 30K is in two hour 15 and it was, a, it was my longest run of the block. And I know, I know you say not to run that long. You know, I, I go a bit against you. I, I have, okay, this is, I like to work on my strengths in the, sorry, I like to work on my weaknesses in the off season and work with my strengths, you know, during the, the competition race build. So my whole thing is this 5k and I can use a lot of my fast switch muscles, shorter intervals to get there. But you know what? I want to go out. I, I like running easy. I like that, that steady pace. I was able to do to hold about the you know, 410, 415 pace for the majority of it. Um, and yeah, it was, I, I rarely run for distance, but I said in two hours, 15 minutes, I'm going to do 30 Ks. And it was just, it was just perfect. It was a great morning. It was a bit windy, but somehow I was protected from the wind sunny so i felt warm i got some great photos it was just one of those like i planned that i planned that for two weeks and everything worked out and it, i just you know i got it all on strava and i got to do a lot of posts on it and, it and it felt good it felt like i completed something huge and that was the tip of my aerobic fitness and and i usually take that aerobic fitness with me and go into my competition six week build after that uh, that, that did not happen as if you've been listening, <laughs> I kind of ran into a lot of things, but, um, but it was nice to get there. I haven't gotten, you know, that much in me and funny enough, like I'm really on my way to marathon training with all that. And, you know, definitely half marathon, um, specific type stuff, but moving into more marathon specific training is going to be much easier than if I never did this big aerobic base building blocks, um, you know, leading up to, so I'm looking forward to marathons in the next few years and doing 30, 35 K runs. Anyway, I just need to correct you. So I don't say that running 30K is wrong or against it. It, it depends on what the goal is. So this is what I, 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 I get lots of questions, people saying, how far should I run? How fast should I run? What should I do? And he said, define your goal. If your goal is to run 30K every Sunday and that's what makes you happy, then running 30K is good. <laughs> if, you know, if your goal is to, to run fast or to eat ice cream every day, you, you, you need to decide what you want to achieve, what the outcome is, so that... Nothing is wrong. So when people say, oh, Mike, you shouldn't be telling everyone to change their running form. No, I don't tell anyone to change their running form. All I'm saying is when people come to me saying, I'm trying to run four foot, what can I do? And I, I can give them tips to help them because they want to change. So what I do is I, I try and help people achieve what they want to achieve. I don't go out and say, oh, you know, unless I see something that, that's really biomechanically wrong, uh, I, I tend to just, you know, go with the flow. Uh, and so, yeah, so that if, if you like doing a 30K run and that gets the endorphins uh, and makes you feel happy and good, who might say it's wrong? You know, so, uh, you know, it, it, it depends on what the goal is, what the objective is. Warm up complete. 
So fittingly enough, and I actually did not plan this. <laughs> it just seems to happen every time. This episode is actually about base training and, and aerobic base training. And I know you just did a, a, a PDF training guide for base training, which I was super excited about when you put it out. It's an amazing guide. So we're going to get onto that into the episode. Cool. So this episode is everything you need to know about base training. And Mike Trees and I are big proponents of base training. I'd say, I'd say most coaches in the last 20, 30 years are big proponents of base training. But so many new runners that that get into the game, they really think you can sprint your way to, you know, sprint train your way to to a 5K, you know, or, or whatever it is. They think that running needs to be hard and you need to be huffy puffy. Um, base training while simple, it can be complex. So let's jump into the, the, the complexities or the simplicity of it. We always like to make things simple. I know you have analogies to make it a bit easier to understand. Um, let's start it off. Give me the general, what is base training? I need to take it a step further back. I've tried to simplify training into some easier levels because there's so many newbie runners that, that get into it. And as you say, they run too hard or they they misunderstand it they say oh i can do a 5k uh, i'm trying to get to do a marathon well it, it's not just about completing a marathon it's about completing it at, at the right pace being strong enough to get through and running the 5k at, at, at a target pace so there's, there's different kinds of races different distances but basically anything over 1500 meters is more aerob aerobically based than not. So 800 is the bottom line where you're doing more anaerobic work than aerobic. So we're talking about endurance sports. Sorry, just want to make it clear. 800 meter on the track, right? So two, two laps. Oh, yeah, two laps of the track. That's half a mile. Yeah, half a mile. 1500 is 100 meters s uh, shorter than a mile. We'll call it a mile. We'll call uh, it a mile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah metric mile. Uh, and so... For the people listening here, we're endurance athletes, so we need uh, a big engine, a big aerobic engine. So I've realized that to, to get it simple and to get it simply across so that people can get training and, and, and do some meaningful training without getting too complex, let's split the training into two kinds. Uh, base training, which is an aerobic base training, and preparation for races. So the ideal, uh, and these are not my ideas, I, I've cobbled together these ideas from a lot cleverer people than me. Uh, I, I'm just looking at the science and the research and trying to simplify it a little bit while adhering to scientific principles. So the aerobic training, the base training is aerobic training. It's designed to make your engine bigger. Uh, and if we can do that for as long as possible, uh, that's the ideal. So if you can do it for six months, that's better than four months. Three months is still better than two months. I would say 10 weeks is about the minimum time you should devote to a base training plan. I like to work around about 12 to 16 weeks if I can, but uh, it's not always practical because people race as well. When would you implement it? So let's say, because you obviously... And not to derail this, because but I think it's very important to know when mm. to do ba uh, a, a big base training block. Because you can do base training throughout the season. You can do a week of base yeah. training. You can do six weeks. So when would you do it based on your A race? So if Ironman so, is your A race, right? Right now. Yeah. When would you do the 16-week base block? So with something as big as Ironman, 
I, I take it a year back. So I'll start uh, a year previously and I'll be spending six months for Ironman in, in base training, in aerobic training mode. Uh, and all I'm doing is focusing on becoming aerobically efficient, you know, building the, the aerobic engine. And yeah, people are starting to call me an aerobic monster. I, uh, you know, I'm nearly 60. I can go out uh, and run 430 pace per kilometer. Uh, and my heart rate is around about 105 to 110. So I have a big, big engine. I'm very efficient. I've got a lot of mitochondria. The capillary development is good. The blood flow is good. It gets the muscles efficiently. And all this is developed through my uh, aerobic training. Uh, and then what you need to do as well, just to understand the base training a little bit more is you then get race specific work. So I, I've developed plans as well for runners that, that actually target their specific races. But it doesn't matter what distance you do, 1500 meters, the metric mile, whether you're doing five kilometers, 10K half marathon, base training is the same for us all. We can all do the same base training, build up the aerobic engine. And then when we do the race specific work, we then focus on running specific sessions to get used to the, the 5k speed, the lactic will develop in a 5k, or you'll do some intervals at a longer, slower pace for the marathon because you need to be more efficient at, at longer, slower running, and you need to be better at fat burning for the marathon and more efficient. So the, 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 the training after base training separates. So what I do is my, the way I, I coach is everyone does the same training, whether running a marathon or a 1500 in base. Uh, and once they've done the base training, they then split into blocks. So for a marathon, it might be a 16-week block to get ready for a marathon or a 5K, probably 8 to 10 weeks, no more than that. Uh, and so that's how it works. So uh, just to recap, it's, we, we do training specifically designed to make the aerobic engine bigger uh, in base training. The biggest thing that I've, I've found out is any type of running you do, I mean, even the 100 meter, and not too many people run in the 100 meters, you know, there's no 100 meter park run yet. Um, so, you know, I'm, there probably will be in the next 20, 30 years. But uh, everything requires some sort of a base. And, you know, you get the most benefits out of your race specific training if you have the aerobic base. So a lot of people want, and I, I was, when I first got into endo proper endurance sports, I did my first duathlon. I've you know downloaded a duathlon training plan off of the off of the internet, and it had an eight week base block. And I said, "Oh, I'm fit. <laughs> this is ten years ago. I don't need that. Let me jump straight into week nine. Um, and then you know I did the duathlon, and I was like, eh, "That wasn't really you know wasn't really that fast." Then I went down the rabbit hole of Moffatone and his whole do a whole lot of aerobic stuff where I ended up finding out that I did too much aerobic and not enough race specific work. But um, yeah, I went, you know, I went to the extreme on that end on aerobic base and I learned a, a lot about myself and that base base is fun. I really like aerobic base. Like I, I found out that it's it's almost like spiritual in a way and it's zen, you know, the that's steady when you get to that that aerobic building, I call it steady or high Z2 heart rate. Um, where no lactate is building up and you're just, you, you know, you're, you, you get efficient enough. It took me years to get to the point where my Z2 is fast. Like I could actually, where I'm like, oh, I'm actually moving here, but my heart rate is low. That's some next level, you know, shit. And I, I, I felt like, I felt kind of like a pro. I'm always trying to feel like a pro. I, I never became a pro like you, but I'm always trying to feel like a pro. And I'm like, yeah, low heart rate running fast. You know, this is great. So, um, so yeah, don't, don't, don't dis discount the aerobic base stage. Okay. Let, let me just nail it for you that why they need to do it. Imagine you have a car. 
Uh, and you've got a little, uh, in Europe, we drive Fiat. You've got a little Fiat and it's a one liter engine and you put your foot down and rev it. Uh, it can go, we'll say a hundred kilometers an hour. That's it. Now, if you do aerobic training, you start off with an engine that's a liter big and you get it up to three liters in size. Uh, and then you drive this and then you put it in that little Fiat and it's now a three liter engine, not a one liter engine. You put your foot down. It doesn't go to a hundred kilometers an hour. It shoots all the way up to 160, 170 kilometers an hour. And then once you've got that engine at three liters going 160 kilometers an hour and you say, ah, now I've done my aerobic training to make the engine big. Now I'm going to add a turbo on. So what a turbo does to a car engine is it makes it more efficient. It doubles the power output. So my three liter engine really becomes a six liter engine because I've done the turbo. Now this is the race specific work where you buffer the lactate that builds up and allows you to go faster before fatiguing. Uh, but you can't maintain this because we all know a turbo engine doesn't last very long. So we can't maintain it for a long time. So you only need a little bit of this lactic speed work, this race specific work to double the size of the engine for a short period of time. But it's a short term benefit. But the car suddenly goes from a little one liter engine doing 100 k's an hour to a, a six liter engine equivalent of doing 250 k's an hour. So you can see that we add the base on, we make the engine bigger, uh, and then we put a turbo onto the engine with the race specific work. Uh, uh, and that's where we, we really get the whole thing put together and race well. So those guys that say, hey, I'm fit, I don't need this base stuff, I've already got a good base, you're missing the, the fact that you can make your engine bigger. Uh, and those guys that just do bass all year round, sort of, well, I don't really, you know, Muffetone says bass, bass, bass. Well, he does, but he does add a little bit of speed work in there as well, if you look at the details. Uh, you know, people that do too much bass, they make the engine bigger, but they don't know how to handle it. They don't really tune the engine properly uh, and take it to the levels that it could be raced at. So you need both. You need both the bass training and uh, the race-specific work. Now, for healthy living, if I was to pick one and say, well, I don't race, I just want to be a healthy guy and live a long time and enjoy quality of life, base training all year round, forget the other stuff, you don't need it. Uh, for just enjoying life, just enjoying your sport and being strong and healthy, you could live on base training all year round, but you might get a little bit bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's Let's go back a bit. And why does it help? Because uh, let's go into the bit of the, the, the exercise science on this. Um, we, won't, we won't get too complex because it's a podcast. We don't have the visuals. We might have some, some video as a component here, but um, mainly going to be a podcast. Talk, talk to me about you know, oxygen uses and, and all that type of stuff. Well, I, I like to keep it things relatively simple. With, with base training and with the aerobic output. Add break. This episode is brought to you by Energy Coaching, which is Mike Tree's coaching service. Mike and his team of coaches work with beginners to pros and all levels in between. No one is too fast and no one is too slow. They just want a desire to learn and improve. They focus on 1500 meter races to marathon running and triathlon training. Energy Coaching is constantly overbooked. So Instagram and this new podcast venture, Trees and D Lake, gives Mike and the rest of his energy coaching team a way to reach out to more people and help them. Contact Mike and his team at the letters nrg-coaching.com or go to the link in the show notes. And back to the show. Talk to me about, you know, oxygen uses and, and all that type of stuff. 
Well, I, I like to keep it things relatively simple. With, with base training and with the aerobic output, all we're doing is we're working at an, an area that's, that's training u- using oxygen to fire the muscles. So there's no lactic building up. There's there's no byproducts. Uh, and we're using fats for fuel generally. Uh, and this is a nice, clean way of burning energy. Uh, and doing this, we we you know, research has shown that you'll develop more mitochondria, uh, which which help get the uh, oxygen to the muscles and the capillary development uh, improves. I finally found out, and you're an exercise scientist, you probably know this, but I finally, I kept hearing mitochondria, kept hearing about the capillaries, didn't know that. I know mitochondria is the powerhouse of cells, the powerhouse of cells, as everyone learned in probably fifth grade science, uh, biology. But what happens is, and, and you could probably help with this analogy a bit better, is you have to, so if you think about a hose, your, your, your blood, think about your veins and your, your blood or arteries or whatever it is that, that, it, that the blood's going through. Your blood's delivering the oxygen to the muscles, okay? And you are trying to make, what is it like? You're trying to, you're, you're, you're creating, so let's say when you're out of shape, you have really big bubbles that connect. They're, and those are the, uh, that's the capillaries of the, the mitochondria. You're trying to make mult- more of them. So it's the same. Obviously, you're not making your veins bigger. You're not making your, your arteries bigger. You're just creating the connections. Imagine uh, in, in England, we have like A roads, B roads, C roads. You got a little C road, which is a little country road that's very narrow and very slow. Uh, and you get from A to B along it quite happily. But if you build a motorway, or you call them a freeway, it's like a super highway. So uh, by getting the, the mitochondria and the capillary development uh, maximized, you're building these super highways so that the blood can zoom along them pretty efficiently and get to the muscles more efficiently, rather than going along these little by roads. So you, it, it's helping you get the oxygen uh, and the fuel-rich uh, nutrients to the muscles much quicker and more efficiently. At the same heart rate, that's the main thing, so that your heart isn't actually stressed anymore. So we're keeping a nice low heart rate, but it's super efficient because the heart becomes bigger and stronger as well, so it can pump more blood volume in each go. So every time the heart gets bigger and stronger, you have a much better capillary development, and each pump pushes more blood around the body so it it works more efficiently so that's why uh for example i have a heart rate you know very low heart rate when i'm running but to, to get this what people miss is its consistency i've been running 50 years and i keep telling everyone that i started when i'm nine i'm 59 now and i've been consistently aerobically training for 50 years And yes, I can categorically say that over that period of time, my working heart rate has got lower and lower at the same pace. So the first time I got a heart rate monitor was actually in my 30s, because I think that was about the first time they came out. (laughs) And uh, I used to monitor my heart, my easy runs, I would run at around about 120 to 125 beats per minute for about five minutes per K, that sort of pace. Now, if I run out and take a nice, slow, easy run, for me, that is, uh, at five minutes per K, my heart rate now is around about 105. So it's come down possibly 20 beats over 30 years, almost a beat a year. Wow. That's consistency. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is, you know, when, when I'm 80, is my heart going to actually stop? Is it going to do like one beat a minute? <laughs> but the, yeah, there comes a, p- a point of diminishing returns and, and old age and hardening in the arteries and lots of other factors all take their place. But yes, I've shown and can categorically say with athletes I coach that your heart rate will consistently come down over time if you keep working at aerobic 
training, but it's consistency over time. Getting injured, you, you spend six weeks training, you get injured, you're out for six weeks, you're back to square one. It takes you six weeks to get back to where you were. So it's how can you consistently train without having unplanned breaks over a long period of time? Uh, and that's how you'll develop an aer- a good aerobic engine. Sorry, I uh, totally derailed it. My apologies. I just wanted to clear up the whole mitochondria versus mm. capillaries yeah. because we hear this and if you're not science-based, you don't understand biology, it is confusing. And it's just those two phrases get they, they might be said a bit more um you might hopefully we don't we talk don't talk about them anymore but it's just more uh you need to understand that in the context of all that so yeah back to back to the oxygen use and and how we process that and the, and the metabolism so yeah so uh basically that's what all we're trying to do is we're just trying to through the training keeping it simple is by running at the correct uh, pace will develop this aerobic capacity the best. Uh, and Maffetone, Dr. Maffetone, actually, you know, was one of the first guys to to actually specifically talk about this with his math theory, you know, 180, you know, uh, minus your age, he found out through, through experiments and testing seemed to be about the right pace to run at to develop uh, this aerobic, maximum aerobic function, as he called it. So math stands for maximum aerobic function. Uh, and he did the test on young guys, and so it tends to be more efficient with younger people. And over time, they have corrected it a little bit. Uh, but math theory says 180 minus your age. So if I'm 50, 180 minus 50, my maximum aerobic heart rate would be about 130. So he'd say, get out there and do lots of running. Don't exceed 130 beats per minute. Uh, and it don't don't use that as your average. He says, don't exceed that. But we find that in hot climates, it doesn't quite work. Uh, and some people have a very high heart rate. It doesn't work. Some people have very low heart rates. Uh, and what I did, I, I looked at this and, and my runners, are, and now that I'm on Instagram, I've got so many followers and it's easier for me to calibrate. You know, I'll put a, a post uh, asking a question on my story. I'm getting like, you know, 8,000 replies and responses. So it's, it. I'm getting a lot of data and I'm finding out that as people are messaging me that if you know your maximum heart rate, it, it seems to be a little bit more efficient to use maximum heart rate minus 40. It's basically modeled on math theory. So uh, it's not, I'm not a genius or rocket science. Maffetone, Dr. Maffetone is the genius that's come up with the idea. But I, I found that if people actually know their maximum heart rate, and a lot of people do these days, uh, then the, the the theory fits a little bit better. So my idea is I'm at uh, individual, you know, maximum aer- aerobic training uh, heart rates uh, is maximum heart rate minus 40. So my maximum heart rate is actually 170. Uh, and then 170 minus 40 would give me 130. Uh, according to math theory, I'd be around about 121. So there's not a lot of difference. Uh, and it shows they're both in the same ballpark. But for some people who have a really high heart rate, this could be more efficient. So I'm not saying one's better than the other, but uh, it, it helps you play around. Some people don't want to go out and find out the maximum heart rate because I get questions. How do I know my maximum heart rate? And I said, well, you've just got to go out, run about 3000 meters and make sure the last 400 meters, if possible, uphill, and you are actually pushing it. And when you can't go any further, run another 100 meters. Uh, <laughs> so check with the doctor that it's safe to do so. Yeah, it's yeah, that, painful. That sounds you dangerous. Run to max. You literally <laughs> run until you can't go anymore. That's how you find out how hard your heart works. Yeah. And, and a lot of newbie runners don't want to do that. So they're happy to take math theory. A lot of serious guys who really want to, to push it uh, uh, 
happier to find out their maximum heart rate uh, and test it, push themselves to the limit and, and use that. So there are different methods to work out. And then Polar is designed back in the 90s that the five zone model that pretty becomes standard these days. Uh, and it was pretty much Polar heart rate monitors that did the early work. And you have zone one, two, three, four and five. Uh, and that's another example that you put in you know, your theoretical maximum heart rate 220 minus your age into the model and then you work the, the zones out i'm assuming that people listen to this podcast have come to us through uh you know my instagram page and have a little bit of understanding of the five zone model because to, to keep explaining everything right back to the basics would be here forever but if you don't know anything about the five zone heart rate training model just google it there's so much information Uh, but that's another way of, of checking and, and by the five zone model, you want to be training in zone one and two. Uh, and really, Polar actually had you up to zone three on their model. But uh, recently, a lot of scientists are saying, well, zone three is a, a gray zone. It's probably a little bit too fast for aerobic training and not really fast enough for anaerobic uh, economy training. So zone three has become what's known as the, the, the gray zone these days. We don't talk about it as much. Uh, let's not go that far because we actually, uh, we might talk about the gray, we might talk about the gray zone as its own We, we no, we, yeah. we can talk about the gray zone. because I, I am obsessed with the gray zone. We can talk about the gray zone on another podcast. Let's kind of, let's bring it back to the base training. Obviously we now, we now know what's, what's not base training to, to make it easier. So base training in, in the plans for people that I'm, I'm giving. So I've thought, what do we need? We need a lot of aerobic training. So well over 80%, uh, Uh, Matt Fitzgerald sort of coined it really or made it famous. He'd been around for a while, but he sort of coined it the 80-20 rule that uh, it seems to work in everything, in economics, in life, that uh, in, in the way you eat, you know, I eat healthy 80% of the time. It's okay to have junk food 20% of the time. Uh, you know, you, you train in the aerobic zone 80% of the time. It's okay to go a little bit over 20% of the time sort of thing. So in my base training zone, we're doing at least 80% of the work at nice, easy aerobic Uh, paces, uh, zone one or zone two, as people might say, or maximum aerobic heart rate, the MAF or IMAT pace. So nice and easy. It should feel easy. You should be able to talk if you want to talk, and you should be able to breathe through your nose if you want to. I'm not saying to breathe through your nose. I breathe through my mouth all the time, but you should be able to get enough oxygen through the nostrils quite happily. So it's a very easy pace. If you're grading yourself out of one and 10, and 10 being absolute maximum, can't go any harder, and one being sort of walking very slowly, it's a three out of 10. So it's a nice, easy pace to work out. Then Just doing that, I think, is a little bit too simple. We need a little bit of strength and conditioning. So in my uh, base training, I like to put a little bit of strength and conditioning because running is very bad at building up muscles and muscle mass. So we need some strength and conditioning, some core work, some gym work to build the legs uh, and strengthen the legs. So I, I put a little bit of strength and conditioning in. Then we need another big word, neuromuscular activation, uh, which people hear a lot. It really means a little bit of sprinting. That's all we're doing. We're getting the legs to work quicker. We're just trying to activate the fast twitch muscles as well. In our legs, we have fast twitch, and this is very simple, fast twitch and, and, and slow twitch muscle fibers. Uh, and the slow twitch muscle fibers are the ones that basically carry us a long way doing the long, slow aerobic running. And the fast twitch muscles are the ones that are good for sprinters. 
But even as long distance runners, we still need to maximize our uh, fast twitch muscles as well. So we do a little bit of uh, strides uh, and easy work for very short distances, probably only 10 seconds of striding, long rest, just to keep that going. So that's a simple plan would be lots of easy aerobic work uh, interspersed with a little bit of strength and conditioning, a few strides, a bit of stretching, and once in a while, uh, throw in a 5k run because it never does anyone any harm. It's perfect. Uh, VO2 max work. It, it develops your maximum capacity, uh, the top end work. Uh, and then you've got a nice rounded uh, base training plan, uh, as I would see it, very simply put. Uh, and getting on to sales talk, if people think I've talked far too quickly and didn't understand it all, I have put together a base training plan and the link's in my bio and my Instagram page uh, and all for the price of a cup of Starbucks coffee. So super cheap and it's a 30-page document with photographs, tips and all sorts and it's a, it's a, it's a training system that will uh, guide you through base training. So it will cover everything I've just said now but in more detail and, and simpler uh, and easier to understand. <laughs> All right, go out and get it. Go out and get it. That's uh, that that's a direct a direct action, and uh, call to action. Yes, call to action because th- this is something that actually, funny enough, you find it in all training plans, but you don't you don't see just a devoted. I haven't yet to see a devoted base aerobic training plan. Uh, people talk about doing base, but I, I'm really grateful. Thank you, Mike, for you and your team of coaches for putting this together because I feel like this is going to be uh, a game changer for a lot of a lot of amateur runners and and you know sub elite people or trying to be sub elite like myself can, can I just add one interesting fact with with base and we, we split it into two groups base training and race training uh, and what we separated is in base you run to time so you pick a level based on how much time you can devote to training, not on how fast you're going. Uh, and the system will pick your heart rate. You'll, you'll work with the system and train at the correct heart rate for you. But it's all individualized around your own heart rate, your own paces, and based around the time you can devote to training. Bearing in mind that for every hour that you do extra training, I want you to do an extra hour of sleep. So uh, you, you need to think how much time you can devote to the training. And it's based around time and heart rates. Whereas race training, this is a different concept. And this is where people say, oh, Mike, you contradict yourself. I'm, now you're talking about racing at, at specific speeds and paces and you're not mentioning heart rate. Well, no, I'm not contradicting myself. I'm saying the aerobic development, the heart does not know how fast you're running. It's just how hard it's working. When you're ra- training for a race, you have to hold a specific pace. And to be quite blunt, I don't care what the heart rate does. If you can't hold the target heart and the pace that you want for a race, it doesn't matter whether the heart rate is 110 or 150, it doesn't matter. So in the race plans, we actually work more about a, you know running at higher paces and holding target paces so we can actually run at the pace we're targeting and getting used to running at race pace. So that's how we, we've simply split the categories out and it, and it works quite effectively. And the amount of message I got of people that saying, wow, it's opened my, opened my eyes up and I'm just get setting PBs every race I go. It, it's, a, it's a simple plan uh, and we've managed to get it so that people can understand it now. And uh, as you say, you, you love it. Uh, I, I train to it. My son trains to it. And, and we've sold thousands of these copies because they're very cheap and easy uh, and they're effective. So uh, that's, that's how we've done it. Base, you train on time and heart rate. And race training, you you pick a specific distance and work 
mostly still 80% is still easy aerobic running, but the 20% hard is all at race pace. It's the hard is hard and the easy is easy, but you run to pace mostly uh, on the race plans. Main set finished. Let's move into the cool down. All right, it's that time at the end of the episode where we cool down. We're doing nice, nice uh, static stretching, you know, some mobility stuff right now. And this is the the question. So it's the question to everyone. It's a two-way conversation. Make sure you message us. Mike is run.energy, the letters, and I am at Creates on Instagram. Mainly is where we hang out. Uh, we're, we're not on any other thing right now, at least, or we, we check that very seldomly. Or you can email me, talk at delatecreates.com. That's an easy one. Uh, with your answer. So the question for today's episode is, here's the setup. So your heart rate monitor is broken, right? You, you, you're about to start your hard training session or your race and your heart rate monitor is just not, it's not connecting, it's not working, your battery's dead, whatever it is. Uh, what do you use to maintain speed that you need to maintain? Would you, would you use your pace or your perceived exertion. And a definition of perceived exertion is uh, how hard it feels. It's actually that simple. And basically, there's there's a lot of scales out there. I think there used to be the, the Borg scale, which was 1 through 13. They actually have condensed one to that 20. down. It's 1 or, to 20. Or, or oh, 1 Jesus. to 20, and now the simplified scale is 1 to 10. Sorry 1 to, to 10, interrupt. yeah. <laughs> and just think of it as 1 as sitting on the couch doing nothing. And, you know, I'm Maybe, maybe I think one is walking. I don't know. Zero is sitting on the couch. One is walking. And then a 10 is you're at the All end right. of the race. You're about to die. It's the worst feeling ever. You want to stop. That's a 10. So however you, it's so individual and so subjective, however you feel in the middle is whatever it is. And it's a beautiful system because it actually, and a lot of studies have shown that uh, perceived exertion, uh, when someone says, how do you feel on a scale of one through 10, it actually is usually how hard they're working. So that was a de- bit of definition, if, if you don't know what perceived exertion is. Again, back to the question. It, it's used actually to validate chem- medical uh, and research, you know, sports sciences. You know, when you're running on the treadmill and they, they're working your heart rate, they also ask you to pick a number from usually 1 to 20 uh, on how hard you're, you're working. So it, it's pretty valid. It's a pretty good system. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how valid it is for something that's so subjective to what you're experiencing because no one else is experiencing your, your you know, rate of exertion and how much you're suffering. All right. Anyway, back to the question. Heart rate monitor is broken. Are you going to use pace or perceived exertion, Mike? So I, uh, this is you know my my whole train of thought with everything. Uh, big one, rate of perceived exertion, feeling as I call it. So on all my Instagram posts, people that follow me, feeling. So my view would be if you're a runner that's only been running for less than a year, possibly two years, throw away your heart rate monitor. Well, don't throw it away. Put it in a drawer for two years' time. Get out there and just run and run on feeling. Learn how the body feels. Uh, there's too many people that, you know, the heart rate say, you know, uh, we've got a program in England. It's like, computer says no, computer says yes. So it's like, if the monitor says go quicker, they go quicker. If it's, oh, I'm running 420. Oh, it, oh I've got to run 430s today. I've got to slow down. Well, the GPS is on a time lag. It, it's going to be delayed. So you slow down to 430, then all of a sudden the GPS is caught up. You then slow down even more. You then accelerate. You, you yo-yoing up and down. I would say, you know, for those kind of runners, Put the heart rate monitor, the smartwatch away and just get out and run and then come back and say, was that run hard or easy? And if you feel it was hard, it was probably hard. (laughs) If you feel it was easy, it was probably easy. So when I say go for an easy run, people say, well, what's an easy run? Uh, And quite simply, I say, well, go out for a run. And if it feels easy, 
it's an easy run. And if it feels hard, it's a hard run. And that's how we trained when we were kids. My coach would say, guys, you got an hour's run. I want it to be pretty hard. So we'd go out pretty hard. And that was it. And we get back. He'd say, could you do another mile? We'd say, yeah, OK. Another two miles? Yeah. He said, oh, you're probably about right then. And he'd to come back the next time. Uh, do a 40-minute run. Make it really hard. We'd get back. And he'd say, OK, you got another mile to do. And we'd say, hey, I'm going to throw up. I can't do another mile. He said, yep. You probably went the right pace then. Uh, and that's how we ran. Sunday run, uh, it was the pace of the slowest runner. So it wasn't the pace of the quickest runner. It was the easiest pace that the slowest runner was doing. So the quickest runners were, were going very slowly. But we knew we were developing it. And science has now proved that, you know, this maximum aerobic function is developed by running at a nice, slow, easy pace. So, yeah, if the heart rate monitor is broken... I've got no problems uh, and just running on feeling and enjoying it and just getting out and enjoying the running. So uh, sorry to get a bit of a rant on that one, but I just think that too many novice runners just run to technology and don't understand the technology. They don't understand the science uh, and they don't get a, a feeling for how they're running. I just want them to run and enjoy the running and, and understand how their body's moving naturally. That's all I want. Uh, and that's why I get onto a big rant on, on run to feeling. So uh, I've got no problems with heart rate monitors breaking. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very, very uh, coach response of, uh, yeah. you know, having many athletes. And um, I'm going to be a bit, bit of a devil's advocate on this one. You, usually we agree, uh, but we have different whys. I'd say a mixture of both. If, if I come to this race and, you know, it's a race I've been training for, I know what pace I should be doing. So I, you know, on a flat course, hopefully I've been training what that course is. I shouldn't be training flat if it's a hilly course. So I would say, I'd say a, a gentle balance of both. And definitely if I'm trying to, to get a best time, which right now I am in the 5k, I want to be peaking at the pace. I want to be going like, you know, for, for a race, funny enough, ironically enough, I don't care about heart rate on a race. So it's more like, you know, like I'm just like, all right, am I hitting the time? Do I have enough of my reserve to, you know, go a little bit slower, a little bit faster? But um, I'd say, you know, I've got it, to, it's sorry, like, I've got to jump in there. Yeah. But I absolutely 100% agree with you. I don't give a monkeys about the heart rate in a race because if you yeah. can maintain a higher heart rate than you think you should and you're just maintaining your pace, well, go for it. Yeah. I don't care what your heart rate's doing if you can maintain the pace. So for that's why pace training is, is done to pace. But I agree on that one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ignore the heart rate in a race. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, on hard, hard workouts and, heart, um, and races. Heart rate is an afterthought. It's more like, oh, my heart rate got that high. Interesting. You know, yeah. I felt this yes, certain way. Yes, exactly, So, uh, exactly. yeah, it's, I call it the, the another car analogy. I call it the oil temp gauge, where back in the day, cars had oil temperature. And uh-huh. I cared about that because I was a car guy and I wanted to make sure my oil temperature didn't get too high. Nowadays, no one gives a shit about oil temperature. <laughs> like, it's like coolant temperature. You want to make sure your car doesn't overheat. But oil temperature, so it's more of a, oh, that's what that thing's doing. Cool. I'm making note of it. I'm not going to do any you know, hardcore adjustments right now because everything feels good. So that's, that's my you know, quick and easy answer to it all. If I had to pick one, definitely uh, perceived exertion. Depending on, on a lot of things, if it's a humid day and I'm a bit tired, the perceived exertion is going to be a bit harder and, and I might be able, I might be able to, to up the pace a bit depending on a lot of things and, and, you know, go like, Oh wow. It feels like I'm doing four minute paces, but I'm actually doing four fifteen. And I might, some days I'm, I'm able to shift into another gear, dig a bit deeper and bring out another, another pace, a faster pace, um, because of other things happening. 
that that's not the case all the time. I'm not going to make this overly uh, complicated, but um, always how you feel. And the more you run, like Mike was saying, the, the more I've found that I've run, the more years I get under my belt, not weeks, not months, years, the more I know that this pace feels like this. I feel like this. I've got more in my tank. I can do this. And that kind of like self-talk really helps in races in particular, because I'm like, I've got more in my tank. And I remember my 5k that I it was my best time. The whole time I kept going, okay, I'd get the, you know, one cam split. I'd be like, boom. Okay. Uh, that was a bit fast, but I feel good. All right. Hold this. Oh, that was a bit slow. I feel good. Speed it up. And that kind of like self-talk was really new. I'd never had that before. And it was a road race. So there was undulating, um, kind of up and down rolling Hills. There was some 180 degree turns. So it wasn't like on a track where you can hold a steady pace. Um, there was a lot of weirdness happening. There was headwinds and stuff. And I was able to, to do this dance between, uh, exertion, effort, and pace, and know where everything was. I don't even think I looked at my heart rate. I think I would have freaked out if I saw my heart rate. But, um, I would have been like, oh okay. my God, it's that high for that long? <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you something here. I've, I've not yeah. really mentioned this, uh, not deliberately, not told people, but sounding a 5K, I will do mental checks around the 5K. I'll start off, and I'll just have a quick glance down at the watch, uh, and then I'll think, okay, how's the breathing? No, it's under control. I can hold this breathing. How are the legs? Ah, oh, the cadence is a bit slow. Okay. Uh, why is the cadence slow? Actually, my ground contact time is a bit, a bit long. I'll speed the ground contact time up. Okay, that's good. Now I need to strengthen my stride a little bit. Okay, to do that, I need to drive the arms a little bit more to drive that. Oh, I'm now tensing my shoulders. I need to relax my shoulders. I need to look down. I'm not looking down properly. I, I need to look down a little bit more. Uh, okay, I'm not leaning forward enough. It's a bit windy. I need to, and the whole 5K will go with me just talking to myself, doing these mental checks. Uh, and I become so good at them. I'm just constantly just doing mental checks. And if I can find someone I'm tagging on the back of, the, the best thing is, okay, someone's running at my target pace. I'm just jumped in behind them. I'll then do mental checks. Okay, how can I relax more? So I'm just trying not to fall off the back of them. I'm not looking at the watch at the heart rate or anything. I'm just looking mental checks. Can I shorten the stride a little bit? Ah, oh, that feels a little bit easier. Slightly shorter stride. I can sit in behind him with a shorter stride. That's fine. Keep the cadence high. Keep relaxing. So what runners, I think, need to do is you'll find a lot of elite guys do this. They need to learn to talk to themselves as they're running just to keep themselves relaxed and keep focusing. Uh, and, and I write a lot about good form and how to do it and just keep checking that they're relaxed and they're fluid. Uh are they, are they struggling? And, and seriously thinking to themselves, actually, this breathing is quite hard. Can I seriously keep this breathing rate up for the next 5K? Probably not. Okay, I'm going to knock it down a tad. Can I keep this pace up? Probably can. That's how I get through a race. Uh, and it's very rare that I look down. I might look down in a marathon because I'm getting bored. It's like, we're only 21Ks. Uh, oh, the heart rate. Oh, 150. That's quite high. Oh, well. Uh, keep on running. But I don't actually adjust anything because of the heart rate. I'm just sort of thinking, oh, that's that's up today. Probably a bit hotter, maybe dehydrated. Uh, you know, some people do need it. They, they're not as in tune with the body. I'm not saying to ignore it totally. Uh, if you're not that in tune and, and to help you get in tune, you can use the heart rate to help you get in tune with the body. But the ultimate is to run without needing the heart rate and just have the, the, the feeling of the body uh, and it's good to know the pace you know even if it's old school when you just run each kilometer and you go past the kilometer mark and just look at the time on the watch to check you're on on target with the pace but uh, yeah talk to yourself when you run that's my advice let's go welcome to the show i'm your host aaron so aka d link tips and tactics you could train like a pro, pro. 
this cast to help you and faster than you could go. All the PRs you could beat, of course, records that comes in your upcoming season. Right? Don't you agree? Endurance sports, a metaphor for life. That's that metaphor, baby. Eating clean so you can rest and sleep all night. Don't master a lot. Don't master a little, just stay in the middle. Don't master all, don't master just none. Just be. just be a master of some. Is the health and fitness internet too much sometimes? Too many conflicting articles and videos that confuse you on how to train and eat right? Or you don't have time to just read and watch everything about, I don't know, the new trends on carb cycling for trail running. Don't worry, we'll take care of all that for you. Sign up for our free email newsletter, Three Thing Thursday. One, two, three. We'll put three perfectly curated and created things in your inbox for better living and training. Go to delatecreates.com slash TTT. We do the hard, time-consuming work and scour the health and fitness internet's deepest and darkest corners. This is so that every Thursday, you have a piping hot new email with the latest and coolest tips, tricks, tools, tactics, and skills. All so that you can train and live consistently to do dope shit in your next endurance event. If you sign up now, you can receive my quick guide on how to get healthy, stay fit, and use data to create habits that last a lifetime. That's delatecreates.com slash TTT to be inspired and motivated on the regular. Time. Time is a resource no one can make more of, so we appreciate you taking precious time out of your day to listen this far. Our goal is to show the world how to live better through running, cycling, and triathlon. The episode and many others have a transcription. Go to the show notes description to find out more. This was produced in Sydney, Australia, and I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land. I pay my respects to the elders, past, present, and future. I recognize their continuing connection to the land, waters, and culture. These lands were stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. If you like this episode, again, we'd highly appreciate it if you go on whatever app you listen to and make sure to follow d Creates Podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Acast, and a bunch of others. And if you're feeling real loose, a rating, review, or share of this episode to anyone you know that would be into something like this would be amazing. If you have any questions, concerns, suggestions for the episode, or hell, you want to be on the show, hit us up. The best way is to email talk, T-A-L-K, at dlakecreates.com. We're also on the socials, mainly Instagram. You can hit up Mike Trees at the letters R-U-N dot N-R-G. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at dlakecreates.com or just wherever you can find us is fine. If you need any transcripts, you're into podcasting, or let's say you just are big into accessibility, please use the company that we use, SpeechDocs. You can check them out at speechdocs.com. Don't worry if you didn't get all that. There's a link in the show notes description. Thank you again so much for listening. Peace.